Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Okay, ladies, here's the topic for today. Let's talk about complicated situations, how to really think out how to lay out a boundary and how to deal with what you're feeling in the moment. So I'm going to give you a scenario and let's kind of break it down for our listeners on how do we go about and actually lay out a boundary? Because oftentimes I think we as family members just react. We react to how we're feeling. We think we're setting down a good boundary and then it all falls apart a little bit later on. So I'm going to give you a scenario. I'm going to set it up for you. Okay, let's say your loved one is coming home from, I don't know, treatment, maybe a recovery home, or maybe they're moving back home because where they were living wasn't working. And maybe previously they were selling, right? Let's, let's take pot, for example. And they were selling pot and you don't want them to move back home and sell pot from your house but you're okay with, with them smoking pot. Maybe it's legal in the state that you're in, or you know, I don't know what the different scenarios are, but at least they're not using other dangerous substances. And you're like, okay, okay, when you come back, it's okay, you can, you can smoke pot while you're here. But we require, your parents require that in order for you to live here, we don't want large quantities of pot in the house because to us, that's an indication that maybe you're selling. We, we want to let you know, and I hear this frequently, actually, where family members have this discussion with their loved one and they say, if I find large quantity, you know, if I find more than personal use amounts of pot in the house, I'm going to confiscate it and I'm flushing it down the toilet or I'm throwing it out, Right. And if this happens, then you can't live here anymore. We're kicking you out. You're out. And let's assume this person is young too. Let's, let's go there as well. 18, 19 years old. So they're of legal age, but they're really still at a very tender age. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about setting up a boundary like that. I know what my thoughts are, but I'd like to know what you two think, what, Kayla, Dominique, anything you gotta you want to say about this? My first reaction is to say that selling weed is still indirectly part of substance use disorder. I think the family's trying to separate the use and, and disordered part from his behavior of selling. If you go to jail, you go to jail for direct or indirect use problems, drug problems, and, and that includes selling and, and that sort of, so I would see it as part of the behavioral problems of his addiction. So I would treat it carefully and gently to start. 
I am concerned because I do know that the dealing of pot is, is actually, even though there's legal markets now, it's a very dangerous and violent drug trade. And so Mike, I would have concerns about that as well. So start there and now he's brought it home and now they're faced with this dilemma of going up there and getting it, taking it out and then asking their son to leave, which is huge, as you say, at 18. Yeah, and Kayla, so let me ask you a couple of questions about this because I, I know how I feel about this or what my thoughts are. How well do you think it's gonna go? And how well thought out do you think that, like I, I hear this all the time, here's my boundary. I told my loved one, I, no pot in the house or you know, no large quantities of pot and I'm gonna confiscate it if they do. How well thought out do you think this particular boundary is? How do you think it's all gonna roll out in the future? I am vehemently anti-ultimatum because I think I have watched people do this over time. For one thing, most people don't follow up. And as soon as you don't follow up, your credibility is gone. So that's number one. And number two, if you do follow up, then there's all you have to deal with the consequences of that. So there's the break in the relationship. There's the fact that you might literally have to kick this person out without a plan. There's the fact that you're actually taking away their power by taking their stuff and flushing it. And as somebody who's in recovery myself, my friend used to come over on a regular basis, take my pot and flush it down the toilet. And that just meant that I had, that there's a lot of high critters in the sewer system, you know, and that's my concern with flushing anything. And we're all taking it anyway. So I would prefer not to be using drugs right now. And I don't want to use drugs based on what you put in the toilet. But, but I also feel like it's a useless way to do it because when we talk about doing craft, we want intentional consequences. And so consequences are basically different than punishment. It's like, what happens if you engage in a particular behavior, there's going to be a reaction that's not you're not necessarily going to like. I really believe that craft is more about subtlety than about these gigantic moves that we're talking about. Because I don't think anything good comes from you coming in, flushing it down the toilet, and then possibly kicking your loved one out of the house. I think it's really about really kind of engaging with the person, finding out what's going on, having them be more active in the problem solving and really engaging because that's what craft is about. You want them to think about this. You want them to be processing this. You want them to be working with you about this. Even if it's difficult, It's that's what we're working on here is changing the relationship. So let me ask you this. Why do you think family members still set down boundaries like this. What do you think's going on there? I think it feels great to say, you're not going to do this in my house. This is not going to happen. This is the way it is. I think the actual statement of the boundaries that clearly feels like a million bucks. It feels like you're taking your power, which is very momentary. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, when we're talking about developing boundaries, it's that's often the way people do it is they get strong and hard and very clear. And I actually think that that's wonderful in terms of taking your power, except it doesn't work. So I think that boundaries are much more subtle than that. It's about communicating. It's about being clear. It's about 
you don't want to set a boundary that you cannot follow up on because that's not a good boundary. I'd like to add a little bit to that. I agree. I think that a lot of family members feel like, okay, I'm taking control, right? And that's that you feel in the moment like you're doing something, something good. I also think that a lot of family members do what they do thinking, oh, I am setting up a boundary. This is what everybody's talking about. Everybody keeps telling me I have to set up a boundary. Now I'm doing it, right? And now people are like, well, that that's not a good boundary, right? Like, and they don't understand why. So I also think that family members don't know how to think through a boundary simply because they don't know the, the skills behind it. I'm not saying anything negative about family members because I have been in their shoes, right? I've been there and I still go there a lot of the time. But what I'm talking about is people don't know how to set boundaries. They don't know the thought process behind it. They don't know how to take the steps to actually think it through because they don't have a good understanding of what's actually going on. They don't have the skills and the strategies behind setting the boundaries. And what I heard you saying, Kayla, was there's actually a little bit of a methodology that families can engage with in order to set a boundary down. And I think it's important to understand that in all boundary setting, it is just like what you were saying, Kayla, being collaborative with your loved one is actually one of the first steps. Yes. And you would be surprised at the answers that your loved one will give you if you can go ahead and be collaborative with them. And what I mean by that is asking questions like, okay, you know, setting the stage. Dad and I are really concerned about large quantities of pot in the house and selling the selling of pot. That's not going to work for us if you're living here. That's something that your mother and I are not going to be comfortable with. What do you think should happen if that occurs? What are your thoughts on it? So immediately you're bringing your loved one in and you're asking their thoughts. You're getting them to talk about it. That's number one. That's number one, because people don't do that. And what's fascinating to me is if you come up with an agreement, when that person is coming back into the environment with them, then you get to say, we discussed this. This was your thoughts that you agreed to this. This was your, because if you say, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. They didn't agree. I even think of it on a larger scale that I don't have to say, well, you, you said, no, like, like I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to say, okay, your father and I are going to consider what you said. And we're also going to take our own boundaries and our own needs into consideration because sometimes our loved ones will come up with totally ridiculous things. I think I should be able to smoke pot and have as much pot in the house as I want. Okay. Still stick to your boundaries or still stick to your needs, which is, well, we're not comfortable with that. So we're going to have to figure out how we're going to work this or they might come up with, well, you know what, if I go back to selling pot, um, maybe I need to go to an IOP or I should see a counselor or you and dad should kick me out. Okay, well, let's design something. Let's come up with something that's a little bit collaborative, which will help fulfill 
our needs, but it'll also take you into consideration and your thoughts into consideration. Let's talk about this counseling and IOP thing and start there. I would argue you want to even start a little bit earlier, and that is what the family did, which is to say the boundary is what I, I need around me to be safe, our house, our family. I'm not asking you to quit selling, which I would like to ask you to, but that's not what we're talking about here. I'm asking you to not bring a, an illegal amount of substance into this house. That's what I need to control here. And, that, and that's the line we're drawing. So I think the family did a good job of at least saying, here's the behavior that needs stopping. We're not gonna tackle your entire economic methods here right now, which is selling pot to get high on pot to make sure you have enough. I, I'm sure that's all in, tied up in it. But right now, this is the boundary we're talking about. And then, as you say, if, if it's collaborative, and they say, sure, you're gonna to have to kick me out if I can't follow your rules. Well then, right after collaboration is designing where this person would go, if in fact it comes to, to being kicked out. And so the work here is no less than creating house rules or anything else. If they're going to go, where are they going to go? How are they gonna pay for it? And some options for them, which can include treatment at the top and maybe a single room occupancy down below and maybe shelters at the bottom. But the whole spectrum of where they can go should be worked out for them so that everybody feels good about the fact that they are leaving the home because they're refusing to stop selling and bringing large amounts into the house. I would also say um, I'd like to talk about the kicking them out kind of thought. And I think it's really important that we stop saying things like kicking someone out. Even parents, I think, starting to not say you're kicking someone out, especially someone who's 18 or 19 years old, that's a very tender age. It can be really dangerous. And I agree, setting it up, like asking yourself questions, even if you don't come to this agreement with your loved one and discuss it with them ahead of time, where you set it up like, okay, if, you're, if your loved one has to leave, I say it's not kicking someone out, it's giving them other options. Here are some other options. If they choose to not take those options, that's up to them, that's clearly up to them, but you're not kicking them out, you're giving them other options to go and live. It could be a shelter, uh, maybe it's a recovery home, Maybe it's residential treatment, or maybe it's you set it up that you're going to go in and stay with another family member or, or whatever it is, but at least it's options because living in your house at this particular time is not a great space for them to be in. And you're giving them that option. You can, you can choose to go somewhere else if you don't want to take any of the options that we're offering to you, but staying here is not safe right now for either one of us. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to come up with a plan. I just like to use the expression, this is not working because it's not working for me. And clearly it's not working for you because you're still using, you're involved in this activity that's not working. And I don't feel comfortable participating with that with you. I feel like that's better than this kind of, I'm going to kick you out. This is terrible. You're misbehaving. It's much more like, how do we, there's probably a better plan and we're going to come up with a better plan. 
And that's why I like having this discussion at the beginning because they could be part of that plan. Absolutely, absolutely. And the conversation is, again, a partnering, a sane conversation in a good moment about what are we gonna do if this happens? What do you want us to do? And Lori, you had also suggested when we were prepping this about how to get rid of the pot, which I thought was a very good point. I think that mom and dad ahead of time have to also sit down and have a good discussion about, okay, what are we gonna do? Because I actually don't like the idea of mom and dad being the ones to confiscate the pot and throw the pot out. I know of a lot of family members who have done it and I have yet to hear how wonderful it worked and how compliant their loved one became when the, when the pot was confiscated. All I've seen is a breakdown of the relationship. I've seen the loved one become just very angry. It just never works out the way you think it's going to be. So I think it's important that mom and dad sit down and consider what are we going to do if we find that pot in the house? And this is a moment when you can ask your loved one to start taking responsibility for what you agreed upon in this, you know, in your boundary setting and what your, what your needs are in the house. And this is just an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I was folding, I was bringing in some folded laundry and I saw there's a large quantity of pot up in your room sitting openly on your bed. I am concerned about it. We've had a discussion about it. And so what your dad and I need right now is we need you to go up there and remove the pot from the house. And no, it's not tomorrow. It's not, you know, a week from now. It's right now, the pot has to leave the house. And you can come up with ideas yourself if you want, if you want to help with that. Well, I tell you what, there is a box out in the garage. You can put it in the box. You know, I don't know what, but it's the loved one's responsibility to remove the large quantity of pot and get it out of the house. And I think that this is one of the most important craft tools, which is to give the other person responsibility for their behavior and you're not going to take the responsibility for their behavior because I'm watching people over time using craft and the more the family members give choices, give responsibility, allow the other person agency to figure things out and get through things, the more you see them taking their power back, the person who's dealing with the substance use disorder. So it's a really powerful way to do this because every time you overstep and you're managing and taking over and controlling and trying to make it work and trying to get them help, you're taking away their power. So this is that when we talk about collaboration, what we mean is that we're working with the person who's dealing with the substance use issue and that we're giving them as much agency and power as we possibly can, as opposed to micromanaging ordering them around, making pronouncements. It's like, how do you work with? And that goes with communication, behavior, and asking people questions. But also, if they're pushing the line, you're going back and saying, listen, this is not working. So what are we going to do about this? Um, you're not just going to make the pronouncements about it. It's such an important point to, to realize that with addiction, with substance use disorder, the goal of the person with addiction is to get the family, to get the partner, the spouse, whoever, 
to help do your bidding. I mean, you, you end up an extension of the addiction. You end up being swung back and forth, sort of sitting on their tail, going up and down emotionally, right to left with chaos. And so to the degree that you can step away and clarify where you begin and end and where they begin is the beginnings of pushing that responsibility over to them. Anyone who's ever been in recovery it's a process of learning that we are, I am responsible. I'm not responsible for what happened to me in the past. I am responsible for what is going on with me today. And by encouraging and taking on more and more responsibility for yourself, you clarify your relations with other people and you start to take responsibility for healing yourself. And so any time, any moment in the day or night where you can see a moment to step away and let the person make their own decision, small or big. I see this a lot with families that have had somebody with addiction for a very long time in the family. You are so used to picking up the pieces, making sure the worst things don't happen, that you're, you're protecting them from certain risks or, I mean, the, the stakes are very high and it makes sense that you do that. But every time you do that, you blur their own responsibility for their actions and you actually embolden them by protecting them from the worst of their behavior and the consequences of that. And they are likelier to take larger risks in the future of that behavior fully realized for them because somebody stepped in and cleaned it up. That's just, it's an important piece of understanding in craft that you're always trying to pay attention to. Okay, am I doing something that my loved ones should be doing? I really love what you had to say. I think that's absolutely true. Swooping in, we don't understand how that can actually think about it when you have a toddler and you know how when you have when you have a toddler everybody says they'll keep pushing the boundary and pushing the boundary they're looking for you to put a limit on that boundary where no this is where it ends this is where it stops and i think this is the same thing that you're talking about now dominique if you put a boundary down and then they step over it and you don't enforce the boundary, then they're gonna push even farther. Well, where is the boundary? Well, where is the boundary? Okay, not that far? Okay, well, I'll go this far. And that's how it perpetuates and actually makes the problem more complicated. Also on the other end of it, I think what we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation, setting down an ultimatum we're always so, like you said, we're always so worried about the reason why we swoop in and we try and do things for people is because we're so worried about the dire consequences, but actually ultimatums also put people in positions of possible dire consequences. So it's kind of like this balancing act of coming into the middle, not being demanding, collaborating, setting down boundaries and letting your loved one figure things out, being assertive, but not being a doormat and not being too demanding at the same time. It really, it really, really is this balancing act. But there's one other thing that we haven't touched on on this particular topic. And that is kind of the feeling like I've got to set down an, an ultimatum. That's actually probably the starting point of all of this. I feel like I have to set down an ultimatum. And we were talking about this in the beginning. I feel like I have to set down an ultimatum 
because family members think they're taking their power back because family members think or, or don't know actually how to set down a boundary and how to actually, I shouldn't say how to set down a boundary, but how to think it through. Because it's important to think think it through, like what will happen if I set down this boundary? What are the consequences on the other side? You know, let me think about how am I going to pull it off? And what if my loved one does overstep that boundary? What are the consequences? Can I follow through on those consequences? But also a lot of people feel really good when they set down an ultimatum in the beginning. They feel really good. And I often will say this, listen to your feelings. If you're feeling uncomfortable or you're feeling this need to control the situation or you're feeling frustrated or angry or, you know, I need to demand or I need to avoid any of these feelings, definitely think up boundary, but don't set a boundary based on the feelings. Don't set a boundary based on how you're feeling. The feelings are an indication that something is not comfortable in this relationship and feelings are not facts. So my, my point is, is don't react to the feelings and set down a boundary. Instead, allow the feelings to come in and be logical, like think it through before you set up that boundary. Well, I just feel like what happens is boundaries sound great when you're thinking about them and when you're making them. It feels like a relief, like I'm taking care of myself, I'm being clear, you know what the deal is. But for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why, boundaries don't actually feel good when it's time to do something about them. And in my experience, both personally and professionally, I think people, we need to live more in a gray area where it's not like black and white. And when you say a boundary, if you do this and this is going to happen, like there's this guillotine that comes down in your neck, your head gets chopped off. Not a great thing. It's just, it's very harsh. And I personally think it's really hard to play out. So my belief about this is that that's why we're going back to collaboration because the collaboration is, you know, we, we really don't want this to happen. So how are we going to do this? you know, you're coming back in, how are we going to do it this time? What, what's the plan? What makes sense? If this happens, what are we going to do? And you talk about it with the person, especially when they're coming back in, that's your power place. And then you work with them as time goes on and you'll know what's acceptable and not acceptable to you, but you're going to be talking about it on a more gentle basis. Like, you know, I want to discuss this, what's happening that this is increasing, you know, like we talked about this. So what are we going to do now? Because this is not working. At least it's not working for us. So what do we do? Because I think that collaboration allows for a couple of things. It allows for you to actually express and let your loved one know what your needs are. This is what we need. It also allows for agency on your loved one's part. It gives them agency. And I'm going to tell you this, no matter how well thought out the boundary is, almost always a lot of the time, our loved ones are going to try and push that boundary. And it isn't going to feel good when you are the one who has to follow through on the boundary. And it is your responsibility, not your loved one's responsibility to follow through or manage the boundary. That's right. 
that is a tough one. You're the one that has to defend it and, and maintain it and speak up when it's being crossed and do it collaboratively and say as gently as possible, you know, we found this and I'd like for you to get it out of the house and then maybe we can talk about what we're going to do so that this doesn't happen again because, you know, you're staying here and doing this is not working. It's not working for us to have this illegal substance level of substance in the house. I'm sure it's driving your, your use to have so much around. So for those reasons, um, we're going to have to sit down and think about where we're going with this. Okay, Kayla, can you tie it up for us? Just briefly, I would just say that the topic of today is collaboration versus ultimatum. So really what this is about is that when you're having somebody return to your home or return to the relationship with you, you want to really engage in very good communication with them about what expectations you have, what concerns you have, what plans you have, and really have them participate in coming up with a plan um, about how you're going to play this out. And then as things go forward, you want to keep that happening. You don't want it just to be a one and done. You want to keep that happening over time so that if you have concerns, you're staying engaged in the conversation for the purpose of allowing the person to take responsibility, have agency, have kind of skin in the game so that you're not the only one who's running the show. Without their skin in the game, not, nothing's going to happen anyway. So you want to basically model this kind of, you know, engagement so that they're thinking about themselves the same way that you're thinking about them in the situation. And that's part of the treatment process anyway. Okay, great ladies, great conversation. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Dominique. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.